0: Some of you will remember Don McLean of American Pie fame. And when he did concerts, he would often sing, By the Waters of Babylon, we lay down and wept. We, lay, we cried for the O Zion. By the waters, the waters of Babylon. And then everybody would sing. And it was one of these songs that just touched and resonated uh, with chords within uh, the, the people at those as those concerts. Now when the leading people of Israel were taken into exile in Babylon, they were broken hearted. Jeremiah had told them over and over again that ignoring God's justice, God's commandment was going to lead to the unthinkable. And the unthinkable was the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And the unthinkable indeed came to pass. And so, so they wound up with that weight of guilt and that sense of hopelessness and the sense that life is not how it's supposed to be. And once they were in Babylon, Jeremiah wrote them a letter and he said, deal with reality. You need to marry, you need to put down roots, you need to trade, you need to settle in for the long term, you need to seek the welfare of Babylon and you even need to pray for the Babylons who are your captors he's done all this and then into that reality comes the voice of hope in this very important prophecy that we've heard today this voice of hope is neither offering pie in the sky unreality it's not saying it's all going to be okay tomorrow nor is it undoing the circumstance of the people saying you can go home after all nor is it relieving them of the consequence of their arrogance and their sin which has brought them to Babylon in the first place, but as a prophecy and a voice of a reasonable and holy hope and a reminder of God's fidelity to them, even when they are brokenhearted. If the Bible is anything, it is realistic. There's no evidence that God desires that we escape the consequences of our choices or escape the experience of heavy and broken hearts, uh, something we've recognized in that wonderful opening hymn about when when we're suffering, even the heart of God is breaking. So we know Babylon. We may not be living there today, all of us. Some of us are. We know Babylon. We know Babylon when we are guilty. We know Babylon when we are bereaved. We know what exile is like when life simply doesn't work out the way we want it to when we are suffering the consequences of our own behavior, when we are called out or called to account, we know something, some part of what it's like to be in exile in Babylon. It's why the psalms and the hymns of our tradition have such resonance. All the talk of exile has such resonance. We know that we have to deal with the reality of our lives even when we don't like it. I've had one of those weeks that I know that some of you know. Uh, That's that if you were to drive in Atlanta, with no other cars on the road, in the middle of the night, nothing to stop you. You would still be stopped at every single red light. You know? <laughs> there are some weeks where it's just not going to work. However, however you want to get to your destination, uh, metaphorically and literally, it's not going to happen, at least not easily. And you can either curl up and pull the blankets over and hope for next week. That's not biblical, by the way. And Or, or you can keep beating your head against that wall and trying to force things to happen that just aren't going to happen. Or you start saying, all right, let's look at it another way. Let's tack into the wind. Let's let's find a different way of getting where we're going. And in a sense, that's what Jeremiah is offering the people of Israel and Judah in exile. He's offering them a way of looking at things, a way that uh, reminds them that their hope in God is reasonable, that the God who brought them out of Uh, Egypt is faithful even though they are uh, in terrible times, even though they are brokenhearted. This is the first and only mention in the Hebrew scriptures of a new covenant. But Jeremiah is holding out the possibility of restored and right relationship with God, only available through God's gracious gift. There will be new life and successive generations for Israel and Jew. There will be planting and reaping and, and And the law will be written on the hearts of the people and they will be forgiven. But in the meantime, we learn from the context, we learn from Jeremiah, from the whole of his prophecy. In the meantime, what they can do is keep faith the way they know how. They can keep Torah. They can put down roots. They can deal with the reality of their circumstance, but they can continue to practice the faith and remember God's grace and remember God's grace in a way that is the foundation for reasonable and holy hope, a way that remembers what is of true importance, what really matters, what is of an ultimate worth. They can practice by keeping the law, by gathering, by offering praise and thanksgiving in the place where they are. And this word of hope was remembered over the generations. And in time, some of the people, the descendants of these people, got to go back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding But in in fact, it was a long time. And we fast forward to Jesus and this story of Jesus awoke again, the story, the remembrance of Jeremiah's promise of hope. And Jesus holds out a very similar message to that of Jeremiah in his person, in his teachings. He says, uh, in effect, this is a new dispensation, a new covenant, The law can now be written on your hearts. It is now the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is among you. It is something you can begin to taste, begin to see, but is not completely fulfilled. And so what can you do in this time? You can practice your faith. From Timothy, be persistent when the time, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. And from Luke, pray always and do not lose heart. I need to say a word about this extraordinary parable, and I have something very disappointing to tell you, and that is not Jesus telling us to bug God until we get what we want. That's not what it's about, and that's not how it works. By all means, try, but that's a bit like beating your head against a wall, because it's not what's going on. Jesus is telling a kind of joke about some characters that everyone would have recognized. Old Mrs. So-and-so, the widow. Um, She lives alone. She's a little scatty kind of dismiss her we kind of don't see her much of the time she probably has in my imagination far too many cats she's she's standing outside city hall day after day with her cardboard placard traffic whizzing by thinking poor old dear and jesus tells about and we all laugh and we know who she is and then he, and this judge we know this judge this judge goes to all the best parties he's quite influential kind of a good chap to know actually um, he tends to say things like greed is good and God is for losers and the poor really deserve what's coming to them if they don't work harder. And, um, and, and I'm too busy really to deal too much with, with those sorts of things because we have merchandising to do and money to make and judging and, and really very, very busy and important. And we all kind of recognize him too. And so this story, this this parable, which is sort of a human farce, twists our vision and opens our eyes to the world in a slightly different way. And that, that old lady we start seeing in a new way because she's become the voice of the generations crying out for justice. She's the personification of the poor, the one we don't see, the one we trivialize or pity or laugh at or ignore. And the judge is that person who's really busy, who's like a lot of us a lot of the time, who's like us whenever we've given five bucks to someone just to make them go away, or when we've let the children eat dessert first because we cannot take the whining anymore, we just don't have it in us to fight today. This, this, this sort of trivialization of what's going on is, a, is immediately meant to draw us to the possibility of God's justice, of something much more magnificent, much more profound, much more... Uh, glorious and wonderful, it's 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 reminding us in times good and bad to hold fast a reasonable and holy hope to go about making our choices, but to do it, to do it aware that God's love is possible for us to appropriate, that we can start doing things that acting and living in ways where we don't damage each other, where we see and perhaps contribute to real justice in the world along the way. The, and in the meantime, we practice our faith. We read our Bibles. We go to church. We tell the story. We enact the story as a matter of commitment and as a matter of priority. Because it is in this way that God continually shapes us toward what is really of worth, what really matters the love that made us for love, right relationship with God and each other, our final destination but something of which we can taste the first fruits even now. I will make a new covenant, says the Lord. I will put my law within the hearts of the people. I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. It is possible to live differently, to live more freely, even now when the time is not fulfilled, but even now when we can taste the first fruits of the kingdom which is in our midst. And so in our customary time of brief, silent, brief time of silence, let us respond to this prophecy of hope in silence and gratitude and in prayer.